Everybody, welcome in to another edition of the Daily Energy News. We stand up here on this gorgeous Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. As always, I'm your humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, coming to you from an undisclosed location here in Dallas, Texas, joined by the executive producer of the show, the purveyor of the show, and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com. Stuart Turley, my man, how are we doing today? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but it's kind of cold. Just a little bit cold. Luckily, there's no wind here in Dallas, so it's not as bad. But I did have to throw a hoodie and sweats on again for the second day in a row. So that makes me excited. Nonetheless, rain, snun, or snow, sh- or, or, or snow, we are here delivering the news. We have an excellent menu lined up. First up on the show, why fossil fuels are here to stay. Next up, word out of ExxonMobil. Quote, their CEO says, tight world oil supplies over the next few years fresh off their Pioneer acquisition. Probably a good move for them if that's what they think. Next up, World Bank warns oil price could soar to record 150 a barrel. You know, if we, if, if ExxonMobil CEO has anything to say about it, he'd like to see it go there too. Next up, Cummins predicts huge growth in natural gas engines. Um, I, I think that's pretty obvious because they sell natural gas engines. They're probably bullish on it. But I think this is interesting coming from an actual manufacturing section. Somebody that's not maybe intertwined as much with the upstream segment as you want. So love this article coming out of Cummings. They're predicting huge growth in natural gas. And then finally sticking on that natural gas bend, enterprise products, double downs on gas liquids with pipelines and processing plants. Stu will then toss it over to me. I'll quickly cover what happened in the oil and gas markets today. We saw natural gas prices up, oil prices down. We'll make sense of it all. Two earnings. We've got some gas players, uh, Chesapeake and Comstock, both announcing earnings. A little lackluster, but due to down realized pricing, it's uh, nothing that anybody didn't necessarily expect. Um, we did get the API crude oil inventory guesstimate of the crude oil storage numbers that will drop as you listen to this um, on Wednesday. So we will cover that and get you prepped for everything you need to know. And then we'll finish up with a quick back of the book segment. Um, really cool SPE event going on that we will touch on at the end, guys. But before we do all of that, that, as always, the stories and analysis you are about to hear are brought to you by the world's greatest website, www.energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all of your energy news. You can also um, check us out, dashboard.energynewsbeat.com. It's kind of our data news combo. Um, give us a, a shout of what you like and don't like out of our team's hard at work at V2. Um, you can get in contact with the show, questions at energynewsbeat.com. Go ahead, if you're watching this on YouTube or on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can hit the description below, see all of the links, jump ahead to any one of the stories I just mentioned or get to our back of the book segment um, where Stu's going to break down things that he's looking for um, in terms of board of director level things in terms of A&D. So, you know, you can jump around, do whatever you want. We love that. The team does a great job of curating that, making sure everything stays up to speed with everything that you need to be at the tip of the spear when it comes to the energy business. I'm going to breath those Stu. Where do you want to begin? Hey, let's start with our buddies over there at ExxonMobil. CEO says tight world oil supplies for the next few years. You know, I think this is uh, pretty pretty sharp. Uh, when you sit back and take a look at the fossil fuels, the industry, quote unquote, the industry is still uh, recovering from the impact of the pandemic and the lower levels of capital that have been going on across the industry to offset the depletion that has been happening. CEO Officer Darren Woods said in an interview with Bloomberg, I'll tell you what, 
Uh, it's pretty cool. Here's one other quote that I want to yell at in here. It is really a function of where does the global economy go? Because for the next couple of years, it's going to take some time to get additional capacity coming on. And Michael, you've been hitting on this for a long time, that it's the fiscal responsibility. And it was the only, probably one of the few good things that the ESG movement brought in was fiscal responsibility on the oil companies. So... I think this is actually fairly good that they are still. Yeah, I'm glad he's the the CEO of an oil company and not the U.S. chief economist because he goes on to say that the U.S. economy is, quote, in reasonably good shape. I wonder what data he's looking at to come to that conclusion. We got inflation up, you know, dollars been devalued. So I'm 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 glad he's the CEO of an oil company and not necessarily um, um, in charge of chief finance. I mean, from his perspective, the economy is in great shape. Eighty dollars oil. They just bought Pioneer. Why wouldn't the U.S. economy be in great shape? Well, I think uh, I think Janet Yellen may be his cousin. I don't know. Hey, great CEO doesn't mean you're a great economist. That's okay, though. We love what they're doing over at Exxon. You bet. What's next? Hey, let's go to World Bank uh, warns oil price could soar to $150 a barrel. Michael, I kind of got tickled at this story. Uh, It was just kind of crazy. And it starts out describing about the Hamas, uh, the Israeli-Hamas conflict going over there. And it says oil prices could uh, sort of a record high, more than $150 a barrel, if the war between Israel and Hamas leads to the full-scale conflict. Mm-hmm. However, Michael, we're all sitting here scratching our heads, but they take it one step further. They've got a little... Oh, what are those uh, decoder rings that you used to get in Cracker Jacks here? Let me go through these. A small disruption scenario, which the global supply would be reduced by 500,000 to 2 million barrels a day, roughly the equivalent reduction seen during the first Libyan war. The oil price would range to $93 to 102 a barrel. You know, I at least they backed it up with some data and mm-hmm. some stuff. Now let's go to the medium disruption. Three to five million barrels a day if the global supply and oil prices would rise by 21% to 35%, taking it between 109 and 121. The large disruption would be uh, let's see here, uh, kind of like the Yom Kippur War that just app, you know, the on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur mm-hmm. War mm-hmm. Uh, would result in 56 to 75% increase between 140 and 157. Man, for Darren Woods, the economy would be doing great then. Oh, it'd be really good, especially at his, his house. So my thought process on this article was that they did it. Actually, they did it. They got a crayon out better than Oklahoma State University's. And it was They had some thought behind it. Now, do I agree with it? No. I mean, here's the thing. I think, you know, 500,000 to 2 million barrel disruption, that's a pretty big wide range for a small disruption. I think what's interesting is the fact that what do we need to get to get to these disruptions, which, you know, is the real question. Because if we looked at what oil prices did today, seems to me that that small disruption scenario might not even come true. So we're talking about a, a P90, P50, P10. What's the the P99 look? Because that may be where we're right. headed 
in terms of in, you know, do I see the the large disruptions scenario, 56 to 75% increase in prices yeah. to 140, 157 a barrel? I mean, that seems to me we're going to need to, we need that there's going to be need to see some escalation quickly. And, and maybe the World Bank might know something we don't. Is that coming? Who knows? I do think and, they've probably laid out a good right. range of scenarios, though I do think the go, the, 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 the as is scenario, which is eh, we're kind of in a in, in an ambiguous position, in my opinion, is the one I'd vote for. Right. Uh, one thing on these numbers, when I was looking at it, the medium disruption at 109 to 121 is based off of a three million to five million barrels a day cut in supply. And uh, Iran, uh, when uh, Trump was in office, was doing 500,000 uh, barrels per day. They're now doing 3 million barrels per day. So if uh, Kelsey Graham goes out and has his way and we bomb, he bombs, I don't want to say the U.S. bombs, but he bombs, uh, boom, there you are. There's that one item in that range. Does it go to the higher price? I don't think so for a long time. Yeah, I, I just ran a 23 and me. Lindsey Graham and Darren Woods are actually related. So now I see a no way a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, I bet they're still related to Janet Yellen. <laughs> inflation <laughs> is tra- inflation is transitory. OK, all right. Yeah. Same here. What's next? We got two stories that have already kind of teed this story up. No, following the energy news beat thread today, why fossil fuels are here to stay. Okay, this article really is pretty, pretty cool. It's because that let's go down here and it says those I love this part. Those who think the world will soon be doing without fossil fuels need to get real. Far from terminal decline, fossil fuels is set to scale new heights. Even the most ardent environmental zealot will soon have to reckon with the new geological reality. After all, if the Greens in Germany are governing, governing coalition can be convinced to defend coal plants, there is every chance the American politicians will soon be encouraging fracking and drilling from Alaska to Texas. <laughs> I absolutely love We'd love that. to see that. Oh, I think it's a hoot, but uh, I did have a call come in after this ran on Energy News Beat, Michael, and it was actually Crocodile Dundee called in and he was like, oh, so I'm going to play this 40 second clip. This 40 second clip is worth every bit of it. Let's see. I'm running it right now. Okay. Yeah. This guy from Australia is sitting here and he's talking about this. Hey, the world's <laughs> and he goes, This is a diesel generator. I love this. I love exit. that. It's a diesel generator. And he goes, This runs 24 by 7. And there's only two charging stations and a kangaroo sitting out here. He's like, This is going to save the planet. <laughs> it, it, what I love is that is anything is funnier with an Australian accent. So exactly. go ahead and turn this off here. I think it's about <laughs> done. I love anything with an Australian accent is absolutely funny, but you know, this is the type of energy hypocrisy that we, that, that, that we, that we cover here. I mean, talking about natural gas powered electric vehicles. Can't make this stuff up folks. Well, no, here's Cummins predicts a huge growth in natural gas engines. And I love this, this author, because it was, he forgot to mention compressed natural gas, which is CNG, has been around a while, but it does burn cleaner. 
it burns um this market will let's see there's some number cummins builds huge diesel engines and this, there's some numbers in here that we we want to go over a 15 uh liter offering expands the addressable market for natural gas natural gas uh, traditionally accounts for two percent of the heavy duty trucks and now that it could go up to 10% of the truck market. But you know what, Michael? When you try to consider 10% of the truck in the semi-market, that single move could have more impact than all of the EV truck combined on the road. And there's a couple of reasons why. That, to me, is a huge, significant number. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean... If if there's anybody who actually has a pulse on and, and needs to know what the demand will be for natural gas, it's somebody like Cummings. So I'm going to trust their analysis isn't right. at least biased, if only because they're trying to make a dollar here. Uh, yeah, if the it, world was shifting to EVs. You'd think they would dive into EVs more. You'd think. Right. Yep. Here's a good quote from uh, uh, Sampiro. And uh, yesterday, diesel was fully dominant, uh, Sampiro said. But as we get later into the decade, into the 2030s, it's going to be a multi-technology environment where people are going to choose not only what's best for their operators, but also what's best from a sustainability perspective. You know, as we visited with CNX uh, CEO over there, uh, Nick, uh, I'll tell you what, he's got it right. CNG is dead on the way it should have been. And as a CEO running a natural gas over in the, oh, shoot, the uh, Marcellus over there, he's got it right. I, I would rather go to a CNG car if it is, it's cheaper to put in than a EV. And we're not abusing the kids. So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. So, all right, what do you got right. next? I got a nice story here. Enterprise products doubles down on gas liquids with pipelines and processing plants. Michael, it's encouraging when people sit back and go, people are going, wait a minute, natural gas is here to stay. We need LNG and we need everything else. Let's go. Inter, uh, Enterprise Products Partners will expand its natural gas liquids, NGLs, uh, in adding a pipeline from the Texas Permian Basin to new plants to process gas. That's huge. The new pipelines that have come in over the last uh, three or four years from the Permian have really cut down the flaring. So this is an outstanding way to continue reducing the emissions out of the Permian Basin. This pipeline, which had carried NGLs in the past years, has been shipping crude oil since 2019, and they repurposed the one down there. I, I like the idea of repurposing a pipe. There's a lot to be said for that. Well, because I'm sure the permitting is a little bit easier. You've probably got a bunch of the environmental impact studies done, and it's probably half the price to go ahead and repurpose. And considering these investments are billions of dollars, it probably there makes sense to at least look to repurpose. So no, I mean, we're going to need all the, the the pipelines we can get. If we can't get new ones permitted, might as well repurpose. Oh, absolutely. So um, it was a fun day looking at the news. Yeah, no, a lot, lot of oil and gas stories today, which which I got to like. We'll go ahead and kick it over here. Finance segment, guys, S&P 500 up about six tenths of a percentage point. NASDAQ up about five tenths of a percentage point. Not much movement, mainly reacting to a few earnings here and there. We saw a few, a few healthcare things um, on the NASDAQ side drop that really kept 
prices laggard relative to, to, to the S&P. But we will find out about uh, the Fed's decision tomorrow to, to raise rates. You know, before I dive into the oil and gas industry, what do you think the Fed's doing tomorrow? You think they're going to raise rates? It's kind of like me asking whether or not my cat would absolutely like scratch. I don't know. But my opinion is they will. Yeah, I'm, I'm you know, blink twice if the cat scratches. So I think that's what uh, I think that I, I agree. I do think we're going to see a rate increase, um, and, and you'll see that reflected. I think in oil prices, a strategic drop today, eighty-one forty-six, off the back of what we thought was a fairly chill day yesterday. Even though we did see early morning tumblage again, we dip on global supply. You know, as Reuters would tell you, there's less supply concerns than we saw last week. Well, I mean, they're probably right. Again, Hamas is um, continuing to release foreign captives. OPEC crude supply did rise in October, which is um, interesting relative to the stuff we've been hearing. We also did see U.S. crude oil output rises to a two-month record um, in August. That comes out of the EIA. You know, for what it's worth, your your euro did see a two-year inflation hit this October, and 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 the Chinese PMI data did miss its forecast and falls below fifty, which again is only going to help somewhat support prices. Prices were relatively eased on the natural gas side by a crude inventory build of less than the forecasted of only 1.3 million. There was a forecasted 1.6 million barrel build of the strategic petroleum crude oil reserve. Excuse me, you will hear about that tomorrow about 10.30 a.m. Central Time if you're recording this. I think there's two interesting things to note, Stu, on the earnings side. We saw Comstock and Chesapeake, two natural gas heavy players, uh, go ahead and report their financial results. Um, Comstock right out the bat says, continued weak natural gas prices weighed heavily on third quarter results. Um, they had about net in, uh, natural gas sales were about uh, $316 million. Operating cash flow is about 60 cents per diluted share or about 167 million. Um, adjusted EBITDAX, of course, it was a little higher, 206, 209 million. And adjusted net income, 17.7 million. It's pretty crazy, Stu. They got, they got they had 18 wells drilled with an average production of 29 million cubic feet per day. And uh, their average production on their latest two Western Hainesville wells was 34 and 35 million cubic feet a day. So holy smokes, um, they've signed a new venture to go ahead and build out their Western Hainesville um, midstream support, which is going to only help their realized prices. Because you have to remember, that's really all that matters in a natural gas players. How good is your marketing contracts? How good your takeaway? And really how how online quickly can you get these wells? If you're waiting three months to turn these wells online, prices can can swing on you dramatically at then obviously low lifting costs. Chesapeake, a little bit better in terms of their, their cash provided by operating activities. That's 506 million net income of 70 million or about 49 cents per diluted share. Adjusted EBITDAX of 560 million. Um, they did about 200 million of shareholder buy of shareholder improvements um, through base dividend and share buyback. They went ahead and announced the quarterly dividend about 57 cents per common share that's going to be paid in December of 2023. They end the quarter with about 17 uh, hundred or 713 million cash on hand. Hey, our, uh, you know, we're open for sponsors, Chesapeake, if, if that's what you're trying to say. Um, they did interesting, Stu. They went ahead and entered a new um, heads of agreement with Vital to, to provide gas sufficient to produce one MTPA. I don't know what that, it's a lot of, it's a lot of LNG um, to be netted back um, to Japan, Korea maker for 15 years. So Chesapeake getting into the uh, LNG long-term game, which is absolutely Great to see. And you can tell natural gas prices being down. Both of those companies with net incomes in the in, in the six figure or in the hundreds of millions, but only net incomes of the tens of millions. So you can see what 
lower natural gas realized pricing does them nothing too interesting um, other than um, those different things. We'll both uh, be able to uh, read their uh, reports tomorrow as things drop. Um, but before we get out of here, Stu, really interesting. Coming up here, I saw this. Uh, you're actually trying to get down to this. It's it's an event. It's an SPV right. event. The the SPV GCS Business Development Study Group A and D Workshop. Um, this is an event sponsored by by some of our favorite people, including our friends over at Combo Curve. You know, this is an, uh, a pretty interesting event. You're trying to get down there. Basically, what they're going to be doing is they're going to have a bunch of different workshops. One of them is an A&D workshop where you're going to have contestants come and pitch deals to a prospective board of directors. And I thought it'd be interesting oh, to nice. pose this question to you. You're, you, you, you spend your time talking to C-suite people, board of directors all day, left, right, right, up and down. You're the one that's always holding me back. I'm throwing things at you, trying to move it, be the light. You're reeling me in because you really take, again, that that executive Sweezy board of directors. You know, I'm somebody that would be on the pan. I'm somebody that would pitch in this panel. I'm coming to you and trying to pitch my deal. If you're on this panel, Stu, what are a few things you're looking at? You know, you're, you're sitting on the board of directors of Chesapeake or you know, let's take an oil and gas operator. Right. Um, you know, let's take any oil and gas operator. Let's take uh, Devin, for example. You're on the board of directors of Devin. Someone right. comes to you with an M&A opportunity. What are some of the things that you're thinking about to contextualize whether or not you think it's a good deal or not? Well, that was a fantastic long 35 question thing you just threw at me. But I'll tell you what are the key points in an M&A deal in oil and gas is the, the fact that, Michael, you've said this a bunch, and that is everybody's claiming they've got uh, tier one assets, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have Exxon and you have everyone else saying, uh, but we have new technology. So the tier two may be the new tier one. How do you judge between a tier one and a tier two? It's by having the tools being able to say, wait a minute, we're already producing this amount in barrels per day in that square section. Great. How many wells can you then put into that formation? How many can you do that? But more importantly, what's the economics of being able to have the takeaway? What are the economics? And I need to see that on one pane of glass in a report. Yeah, I think a lot of it is they throw a lot of Fugazi numbers out there. So I've convinced you that there's no more tier one acreage available. It's all tier two. Ooh, those us pitchers aren't going to like that, Stu. There's a thousand premium locations out there. But the technology is getting better. And I, I think the new tier two will become the new tier one when you take a look at the amount of production that is going on in the Permian. But I still want to see the numbers. I want so to see. Would you prefer, where would you prefer to acquire? Are you looking to get into the Permian at all costs? Are you looking to have assets elsewhere? Where would you like to be if you were uh, if you if, if you could play BOD of the day? Uh, two. Two answers. BP announced, I believe, yesterday that they are trying to acquire some B, uh, Permian assets. They are now sitting there trying to play catch up. So you have even BP trying to get into the Permian. You also have those two gigantic uh, deals with Chevron and uh, Exxon buying into the Permian. So I think with the geopolitical problems going on, the Permian becomes the single biggest national asset that the U.S. has. Well, good thing for our friend Darren Woods, who we talked to the beginning of the show. He now kind of owns the Permian Basin, so he's the top dog down there. Yeah, well, he should call call us first for an opinion. 
Well, this is awesome, guys. Remember, the SPEGCS Business Development Conference, they're doing a bunch of stuff, including this A&D workshop, door prizes, monthly sponsors, of course, our friends over at Combo Curve Opportune um, and Triple R Energy Partners will be awarding um, the sponsor. We hope to see everybody there. But with that, guys, we're going to go ahead and let you get out of here, get back to work. Um, we appreciate you guys sticking with us here on this Wednesday. We will be back tomorrow for the final episode of the week, and then we will let you get out of here. So, For Stuart Torley, I'm Michael Tanner. We'll see you tomorrow, folks.